Bitcoin hits 50,000 per coin for the first time in history. And it makes a lot of people start talking about the prospects of what Bitcoin could be in the future. Joe Biden walks back his promise that he's going to eliminate student debt because elite universities, kind of the same thing we've been saying about the, what eliminating student debt would be. So we'll talk just a bit about that. A series of news articles about Ron Johnson and Mitch McConnell prove the fact that the media can't give up Trump and they're not even really trying at this point. And the cold weather in Texas brings up an old Dan Crenshaw tweet which is wildly misinterpreted by the mainstream media as they go back and try to cancel him as well. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries of all different stripes, the deplorables, the libertarians, the progressives, when you come in here, everybody who comes to have the discussion and talk about the news with me in the morning. My name is Jay Edgar. We have got a bunch of stuff to get to today, including the fact that the media just cannot give up Trump. Including the fact that Politico says that Trump is going to be the nominee and you guys better be afraid of Trump and we've got to talk about him for the next four years. It's going to be all of this and more over on Contemporary here. But before we get into this, head on over and bookmark our webpage, freedomscoop.com, where once we get back up and running, you can check out great shows such as The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The R-Rated Conservative, and The Freckles and Brit Show. We will be up with a new store, new bios for everybody, sometimes some new shows, hopefully maybe some new writers even. I hopefully maybe into talks with somebody to come back over and right for the site a little bit here. So my dream of making a daily wire that was made entirely by working people and getting rid of the rich people may be coming to fruition after all, but if you want to see it, you're going to have to bookmark it because we'll be there ready to go as soon as you guys are ready too. So head on over there or head into the description below if you're over on the DLive and the YouTube and get into the Gilded server where you can find groups for all of those same shows. We're still under construction over there, but you can get in there and get on the head of the conversation. All right, let's have a look at finance here for the day. Get rid of that. Looking at the Dow to start with. The Dow had an update, but it was a, it was a rocky update. They wound up being up 0.2%, 64.35 points, which most investors would call a flat day throughout the day there. So they almost got back to where they were going to dip back down through. And it looks like they had a fairly significant jump right at the beginning of the day, but dropped back off. And now we're sitting back here seeing 31.522.75. Let's have a look at what the investors have to say. And I'm actually going to start with CNBC today. Only because I've got another CNBC article talking about Bitcoin later on here, because that's big news as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stock futures are flat after Dow closes at a record. Verizon gains after Berkshire adds position. From Yoon Lee and Pippa Stevens. U.S. stock index futures fluctuated in early morning trading on Wednesday after the Dow closed at record high a day before. Futures contracts tied to Dow Jones Industrial Average and S&P 500 lost about 0.1%. NASDAQ 100 futures fell 0.2%. 
Verizon was among the biggest gainers in pre-market trading after Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway revealed a sizable stake in the telecom giant. The shares gained 4% in pre-market trading after the latest filling showed Berkshire bought more than $8 billion worth of the stock in the fourth quarter, making Verizon one of the conglomerate's top six largest holdings. Chevron shares gained 3% in pre-market trading as filings showed Berkshire added a large stake in the energy company as well last quarter. The muted trade comes after the Dow closed at a record high during regular trading. On Tuesday, the 30 stock averages eighth record this year. The index also hit an all-time high intraday fueled by strength in shares of Salesforce. The S&P 500, meanwhile, fell 0.06% during a volatile session of trading, while the Nasdaq Composite dipped 0.34%. Apple had the most negative impact on the tech-heavy index, sliding 1.6%. So according to what I'm seeing here, and just kind of knowing what's going on around the country right now too, the Dow is an industrial index, which means they've got your utilities. So the stock market may actually be dipping just a little bit as far as the whole, but all those electric companies right now are kind of holding it back up because Texas needs heat, sometimes for the first time, and they also need to send people out to go and uh, fix all the wires and everything else, all the infrastructure that's going on there. We will talk a bit about that later on here, but the fact of the matter is, is most of America is heating and the utility companies are making bank off of it there. That's probably going to hold the Dow up just a little bit while everything else is dropping. So that's what we're seeing from CNBC. Let's have a quick look over at IBD. Dow Jones Futures, Apple, Tesla, test support as JP Morgan, Caterpillar breakout seven key earnings from Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures were little changed Wednesday morning, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures, with Apple and Tesla stock testing key support. Bitcoin surged to top 51,000. SolarEdge Technologies, Exact Sciences, QuantumScape, CRISPR Therapeutics, Cornerstone On Demand, and RingCentral were notable earnings after the close. Gang, okay, I know you see that ring is going up, okay, but... It's because I read their stuff on my program every day, okay? And, you know, I trust the ring. And my wife, she's a doctor. You know, I, I don't know if I tell you that or not. She's a doctor. But my wife t- told us as soon as we got in the new house in Florida because my company moved to Tennessee, but I had to go to Florida because, you know, that's what that's what I do. Um, I'm holding ring up right now. And make sure you get your ring devices, okay? Shopify led key results before Wednesday opening. Rising interest rates and economic prospects fueled financials and cyclical names with Dow Jones Giants, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Caterpillar clearing buy points, but rising rates weighed on many growth stocks. Yeah, Cat's going to be another one too because, you know, people are anticipating the warm weather coming up and the construction season coming up. And they're either going to be repairing the equipment they have or buying the new equipment. There's a Democrat. That's... One thing to watch, too, looking at the politics, there is a Democrat in the executive branch right now. In spite of the fact that most states, uh, states, their state houses are run by Republicans at this point, there is a Democrat in the White House. So that means infrastructure, 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 which means your construction equipment is going to go up. So CAT is also going to hold the Dow up just a little bit. Apple stock and Tesla are pulling back towards their 10-week moving averages, retreating Tuesday and edging lower early Wednesday. A rebound from those levels could offer an early entry, though investors might want to wait for a little more strength. SolarEdge stock rose on strong earnings and guidance. Exact Sciences stock fell 
Mixed results, QuantumScape stock jumped and CRISPR stock fell after the development companies reported big losses. Ring Central stock fell despite strong results and targets. Cornerstone stock surged, signaling a breakout on its results. Apple and Tesla are on the IBD leaderboard. Cat is on Swing Trader. On the futures, Dow futures were up 0.1% above fair value. S&P 500 futures edged higher. NASDAQ 100 futures fell 0.2% with Apple and Tesla slight drags. The Bitcoin price rallied again overnight, topping 51000 for the first time. After clearing 50000 on Tuesday, the cryptocurrency is holding around 51000 after nearly reaching 52000 overnight. Remember that overnight action in Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock, mar uh, stock market session. And uh, I do want to point out, because you guys are asking about it over there on the Trovo, the Trovo can be seen by the general chat, but Trovo can't see the rest of the general chat. I am working on getting that fixed. There does not appear to be a solution yet, but I'm going to delve into that a little bit later on tonight since I have the audio platform all caught up. So... Bear with me on Trovo, but we will get that fixed as well. All right, let's look at the Bitcoin here. Uh, Bitcoin is currently at 50799 US dollars. So we're still sitting up on the up and up going on here. want to read once again from CNBC on this one. Bitcoin surpasses 50000 for the first time as major companies jump into crypto. From Ryan Brown. Bitcoin's price broke above 50000 for the first time in history. Tuesday, continuing its blistering rally as major companies appear to be warming to cryptocurrencies. The world's largest digital currency by market value rose more than 3% to an all-time high of 50487 at about 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, according to data from Coinmetrics. It later fell below the mark, trading 0.2% higher. At a price of 48760 Bitcoin's gotten a boost from news of large firms like Tesla and MasterCard showing support for crypto. Tesla last week revealed it had bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin and plans to accept the digital coin as payment for its products. While MasterCard uh, said it will open up its network to some digital currencies, PayPal and BNY Mellon have also made big moves to support crypto. Tesla's use of corporate cash to buy Bitcoin sparked speculation over whether other major companies would follow suit. Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshani told CNBC last week that the company had discussed but quickly dismissed the idea of buying Bitcoin, but it is considering whether to accept cryptocurrencies as payment. These developments have led many crypto investors to believe the latest bull run is different than past rallies. Bitcoin skyrocketed to nearly 20000 in late 2017 before losing more than 80% of its value the following year. Bitcoin believers say that whereas the 2017 bubble was driven by retail speculation, the current cycle is being fueled by demand from institutional investors. Wow, well, it's not entirely true either, but, you know, that's what the believers are going to tell you. I think Bitcoin is a much more stable asset class today than it was three years ago. Michael Saylor, CEO of enterprise software firm MicroStrategy, told CNBC's Street Signs Asia program on Tuesday. It used to be dominated by leveraged retail traders on international markets with a lot of leverage. MicroStrategy and Jack Dorsey's fintech firm Square 
hit the headlines last year after taking the unusual strategy of using corporate cash to purchase Bitcoin. I think starting in March of 2020, you saw institutions start to arrive, and I think in 2021, you're going to start to see that trend continue. Saylor added, There are enthusiasts for Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, but I personally believe that the compelling use case is store of value. Excuse me. And that's not entirely true. He's got the right idea, but he's not quite there. Is that he or she? Michael Saylor. Yeah, it's he. He's not quite there. One of the big drivers of Bitcoin right now is the fact that, you know, the meme has been for all of 2020, money printer go burr as we continue to spend ourselves more and more into debt. And yes, I will admit that under the Trump presidency, only a few fiscal hawks like myself paid attention to what the debt was. And that does come from the fact that I do run in a lot of libertarian circles. The debt is going to be the big driver of this, and the fact that fiat currency is currently getting printed into oblivion is what's driving Bitcoin right now. Because Bitcoin does have a fixed top, and the Federal Reserve is supposed to as well, but, you know, they're not doing very well at having a fixed top. You're supposed to only have as much money. There is supposed to be a limit of the amount of money that you can print. And we do have people in Congress that come out and say, oh, you know what? All of our problems will be just solved if we print $2 trillion coins. I'm sorry, if we mint, not print, if we mint $2 trillion coins and then just use the money that we got from having trillion dollar coins to mail everybody a debit card with $1,000 on it and refill it every month. That's the way the federal government reads money right now, and a lot more modern monetary theory people are coming in saying, oh, just money's just fake. We're going to print it until we're out of debt again. That's what's driving Bitcoin right now. People are trying to say that it's the private market that's driving it. No, it is the government and their ineptitude that's driving Bitcoin right now because nobody has faith in the Federal Reserve, especially not this audience, the smartest audience on alternative media. So that's what we see coming off of here. And speaking of money printer going burr, let's talk a bit about the president himself. So we're going to start with everybody's favorite Democratic Socialist, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who tweets out, Who cares what school someone went to, okay? Entire generations of working class kids were encouraged to go into more debt under the guise of elitism. This is wrong, okay, papi? Nowhere does it say we must trade off early childhood education for student loan forgiveness. We can have both. This is in reply to a tweet from Michael Stratford that says, New, Biden completely rejects Schumer Warren proposal to cancel $50,000 in student loan debt per borrow. I will not make that happen. Says he doesn't want to forgive the debts of borrowers from elite schools and money would be uh, better spent on early childhood education. Loans are crushing my family, friends, and fellow Americans. Me too. <laughs> The American dream is to kidding. succeed, but how can we fulfill that dream when debt is many people's only option for a degree? We need student loan forgiveness beyond the potential $10,000 your administration has proposed. We need at least a $50,000 minimum. What will you do to make that happen? I will not make that happen. It depends on whether or not you go to a private university or a public university. It depends on the idea that 
I say to a community, I'm going to forgive the debt, the billions of dollars of debt for people who have gone to Harvard and Yale and Penn and schools, my children. I went to a great school. I went to a state school. Um, but is that going to be forgiven rather than use that money to provide for early education for young uh, children who are come from disadvantaged circumstances? But here's what I think. I think everyone, and I've been proposing this for four years, everyone should be able to go to community college for free. For free. That's, that costs $9 billion, and we should pay for it. And the tax policies we have now, we should be able to pay for it. You spend almost that money as a break for people who own racehorses. And I think any family making under $125,000 whose kids go to a state university they get into, that should be free as well. So, there it is. The people who went to Carthage, or what's another good private one up here? Edgewood, I think, is up in Madison. The private schools. Um, Marquette. And I'm doing this from a from a local state of mind, but yeah, like he said, Harvard. Well, those people, those people don't, don't deserve to have their student loan forgiven. Which has actually been a big talking point of this. The fact that, you know, if you go up to where you're forgiving $50,000 worth of student debt, your average person doesn't have that much debt unless you went to an elite school or UTI. That's the other one there. The average person doesn't have that much debt. So for the most part, this is going, it's going to help the rich people. Why? Because most of your working class people, unless you got in on a big ass scholarship, aren't going to these big elite schools. <clears throat> so let's see what CNN has to say about this. Biden again rejects $50,000 student loan debt forgiveness plan pushed by other top Democrats from Katie Labosco. President Biden made it clear during Tuesday night's CNN town hall that he disagrees with other members of his party who want to cancel $50,000 of student debt per borrower. I will not make that happen. Biden said after a member of the audience said his proposal to cancel 10000 per borrower doesn't go far enough. But to top Democratic congressional leaders, including Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Massachusetts Senator Chief Warren, are calling on Biden to cancel $50,000 per borrower. Dozens of Democrats introduced bicameral resolution earlier this month urging Biden to take action, arguing that he has the executive power to do so. Hey, you know what? We said that it was evil for four years that Trump was doing things by executive fiat, but hey, we still have the filibuster in place. Can you can you just pen and up on this? Hey, okay, thanks. Biden argues that the government shouldn't forgive debt for people who went to Harvard and Yale and Penn. And he's also indicated that he believes Congress should make changes through the legislation, which would make them harder to undo. The president has and continues to support canceling $10,000 of federal student loan debt per person as a response to the COVID crisis. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki circled back and said at a briefing in February after the lawmakers introduced the resolution. She added that the president is calling on Congress to draft the proposal and looks forward to signing it. But a later tweet from the press secretary suggested that the administration was open to reviewing an executive option. In one of his first acts in office, Biden extended the pause on student loan payments and interest, a COVID relief benefit put in place by Congress last year that had already been renewed by the Trump administration. 
Federal student loan borrowers won't have to make payments until October 1st at the earliest. So that is what we're seeing right there with that. And I mean, there's a better way than just coming out and blanket forgiveness off of this here. I'm going to make a, I've been promising to make a solo video since the election happened on what to do about this student debt crisis, because there is a solution without coming back and just paying it all off for everybody here. But we actually do need to intervene at some point with this. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to spiral out of control and put yet another generation into into a debt that they can't afford. Now, we do look at some of Gen Z and realize the fact that they're, they've understood that going to college, unless you actually have rich parents that can afford it, is really not going to be the solution. And you can go off and be a pipe fitter and make the same amount of money. You know, it's not, it's not a down and dirty job, but... We're looking down the barrel of a housing crisis, first and foremost. So there is a point where we are going to have to come back and do something about this. Not pay it all off, not have the government come in and take it back out of your taxes, but we, we've got to find a middle ground somewhere. So we'll talk just a bit about that. All right, let's keep going here. I've got one from literally your mom over on Twitter who's a great follow if you're not doing that already. That's at Faller for it. Uh, she's talking about Jen Psaki, which we'll talk about her in just a sec as well. But let's listen to the video first. First and foremost, he nominated a woman to lead the Small Business Administration. What is President Biden doing? For there it is. That's the way he's solving the problems. He nominated a woman to head the Small Business Administration. Let's see what the Daily Wire has to say about this. And they do have the full clip to go along with that. From the Daily Wire, Pasaki on what Biden is doing to help small businesses, he nominated a woman to lead the SBA from Ryan Saavedra. White House Press Secretary Jen Pasaki raised eyebrows on Tuesday when she responded to a question from a small business owner about what the Biden administration was doing to their small business during the pandemic by saying in part that Biden had tapped a woman to lead the Small Business Administration. Pasaki made the remark in a video that was posted to the official White House Twitter account in which she read the following question and gave the following response. And, you know, once again, rather than reading this verbatim off of the transcript, we are going to circle back and watch more video. What is President Biden doing for... Oh, we watched that one already because that's the six second one. Here's the full video. It's about a very controversial and divisive issue. General, please. Hi, it's Jen Psaki, the White House Press Secretary. I'm back again to answer your questions that you sent on Twitter. What is the American Rescue Plan? It's a $1.9 trillion package that does three things. It has funding to get vaccines into the arms of more Americans. Two, it has funding to reopen schools. I'm a mom. I know how important that is. And three, it gets relief to Americans who need help the most. When will we get another stimulus check? What's happening is the House committees are negotiating uh, the pieces of the package through their committees. Once they're done, it will go to the Senate. Once it comes through that process, the president's looking forward to signing it, and we're hopeful that's as soon as possible. When can Major and Champ come to a press briefing? Major and Champ, this is for you. You're invited anytime to the briefing room. I will have snacks and treats in there right behind the podium that will just be for you. 
when will we be getting vaccines? What we're working to do here uh, from the White House and from the administration is get more vaccine supply out to states. So if you're eligible in your state, uh, or if you're over 65 in many states, you should be able to get the vaccine. But it's going to take some time. It's going to take several months to ensure that every American has access to a vaccine. What is President Biden doing for my small business? First and foremost, he nominated a woman to lead the Small Business Administration who formerly worked there. Second thing is he signed an executive order to make it easier for uh, minority-owned small businesses to get access to the funding uh, that they need. And third is that uh, in the American Rescue Plan, there's currently about $60 billion uh, to help a range of small, small businesses uh, get access to additional funds. Would like to know your thoughts about a very controversial and divisive issue. Drumroll, please. Pineapple and pizza. That is gross. I'm not for that. I'm for green peppers and onions, um, but everybody has their different point of view. We're here to accept everybody's pizza views. Sorry, I turned off uh, my microphone while I was watching the video there. So now we have to go back through that rant again. Apologize for that. Thank you, guys. Um, but yeah... I'm going to go right back onto that rant and then we're going to go back and edit out the fact that I forgot to turn my microphone back on after we watched the video. So, I mean, if you look at what's going on here, this is just, hey, your small business might be crushed, but hey, don't worry about that. We, uh, we put a woman in charge of the Small Business Administration. That's how we're helping your small business. And by the way, also keep in mind the fact that uh, your small business is... Uh, you know, we're getting out there. We're working on making sure we get the funds out to those minority-owned small businesses. If you're white, well, then fuck you. You don't deserve to have your small business helped if you're white. But we'll, uh, and don't worry. We also, I hate pineapple on pizza too, you guys. Can you imagine if McEnany had to answer that question and what the mainstream media would be doing if that, whoa, we're in the middle of a crisis. There's COVID everywhere. The economy's falling apart. We have... We have a Nazi in the White House, and she's up there talking about pineapple on pizza. It's the end of the world! But that's what we're going to see from this here. This is what we're going to see from the rest of this administration. Until the old man dies. Of natural causes, of course. Let's keep going here from Fox News. VP Harris holds call with foreign leaders without Biden. From Brittany Delea, VP Kamala Harris is proving that she will play an important role in the White House as she hosts calls with foreign leaders without President Biden. A readout from the White House published on Monday showed that Harris took a call with French President Emmanuel Macron where she expressed her com uh, commitment rather, to strengthening bilateral ties. Vice President Harris and President Macron agreed on the need to close bilateral and multilateral cooperation to address COVID-19 climate change and support democracy at home and around the world, the statement read. They also discussed numerous regional challenges, including those in the Middle East and Africa, and the need to confront them together. The president himself did put out a call to Macron last month on January 24th. Though Biden knows many of the world leaders he will be dealing with from his tenure as the vice president, 
In the Obama administration, he likely has not dealt extensively with Macron since he was elected in 2017. A spokesperson for the White House did not return Fox News' request for comment. As noted by the Council on Foreign Relations, the Vice President's role in foreign policy has grown since the mid-20th century. Dick Cheney is credited for re- uh, shaping President George W. Bush's foreign policy priorities. Yeah, that's obvious because he's owned by Halliburton. And we got ourselves more war! We're going to go and get that oil. No, I'm sorry. I mean, we're going to go and get them terrorists. And Biden managed relations under President Barack Obama with several key uh, countries. So I just want to touch on this one for a second. I don't want to go too deep into this article, but I know a lot of people on Twitter were looking at this and saying, with a fair amount of outrage, the fact that, oh, well, Kamala Harris, she's going to be the president. She's taking over for everything. She's just, she's calling the shots here. That's not entirely true. Now, yes, I believe that Kamala Harris is the one that's being asterisked in to be the president to try to get a good decade out of Kamala Harris because she couldn't pull even 1% on the primaries, but that's who the DNC wanted was to have Kamala Harris because you can't impeach that first woman of color. But this is actually not that abnormal, like the article said. Dick Cheney was doing a lot of stuff for W., Gore was doing a lot of stuff for Clinton. This is, I mean, this is par for the course. This is actually what the vice president does. And Biden, like like the article said, he was doing that under Obama as well. So this is not as abnormal as people think. This is not your conspiracy theory run out and say, well, this is Kamala taking over power and Biden's just throwing on a blanket and calling a lid at 7 o'clock. Yes, he is putting a blanket on and calling a lid at 7 o'clock. Don't get me wrong, but... Like, this is not out of the ordinary. There are other things to watch for in the Biden administration. So, we'll see what happens off of that. Let's keep going. Another one from the Daily Wire here. While millions not in school, Biden tells girl that kids are safest group of people in the world. From Ryan Saavedra. President Biden told the young girl during a CNN town hall on Tuesday night that she didn't need to worry about the coronavirus because kids do not get it very often and that kids were the safest group of people in the world. Biden made the remarks as backlash has started to build against his administration over the fact that millions of students are not physically back in school engaging in in in-person learning. As we talk, or I'm sorry, as we've been talking about, the coronavirus is very real and very scary, and it's especially scary for children who may not understand, Jessica Salas told Biden. My children, Layla, 8, and my son, Mateo, 7, often ask if they will catch COVID, and if they do, will they die? They're watching as others get the vaccine, and they would like to know when will kids be able to get the vaccine. First of all, kids don't get the vax, get COVID very often. Is there a video for this? Yes, there is. Thank you. Uh, As we've been talking about, the coronavirus is very real and very scary. And it's especially scary for children who may or may not understand. My children, Layla, eight here, and my son, Mateo, seven at home, um, often ask if they will catch COVID. And if they do, will they die? Um, They are watching as others get the vaccine. And they would like to know, when will kids be able to get the vaccine? Well, first of all, honey, what's your first name? Layla. 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 Beautiful. First man. of all, honey. First of all. Gotta love that. He, he has no problem coming out with a creepy. First of all, honey. 
Kids don't get the vaccine, get COVID very often. It's un unusual for that to happen. They don't, they, and the evidence so far is children aren't the people most likely to get COVID, number one. Number two, the, we haven't even done tests yet on children as to whether or not the certain vaccines would work or not work or what is needed. So that's, so you, you're, you're the safest group of people in the whole world, number one. Number two, you're not likely to be able to be exposed to something and spread it to mommy or daddy. And it's not likely mommy and daddy are able to spread it to you either. So I wouldn't worry about it, baby. I promise you. Oh, my but God. He did it again. Kind of worrisome. Are oh, you, my are God. You first grade? Second grade? Oh, so you're getting old. Second grade. <laughs> well, have you, has your school, have you been in school, honey? Oh, my God. He did it no. a third time. See, that's, a, that's kind of oh a scary my God. thing, too. You don't get to go to school. You don't get to see your friends. And so what a lot of kids and I mean, and big people too, older people, they just, their whole lives have sort of changed like when it used to be. It used to be just go outside and play with your friends and get in the school bus and go to school and everything was normal. And now when things change, people get really worried and scared. But don't be scared, honey. Don't oh be scared. Oh my God, there's four. Fine. That's and four. Make sure mommy's fine too. Wow. Wow. Yes, um, we've got uh, another child creeper here. He's over at, uh, um, what's the address of this place? Oh, yeah, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, wow. Okay, we do have to sidestep, though, the creepiness of that entire thing for just a second and actually look at, you know, what he was saying because a lot of the stuff is what's been being said since the beginning of this. Yes, we sat back and we looked at this and said this could possibly be like the Spanish flu. We could possibly lose 2 to 7% of the world's population over this. So yes, let's do two weeks to flatten the curve. Let's pull the kids out of school. Let's get some uh, distance learning for them. Because we have no idea. That was a year ago. And it took about five weeks for us to realize, hey, this isn't affecting kids. And there's low chance that kids can transmit it back to their parents or their teachers, at that matter here. So Biden just came out and said that, yes, we need to be opening the schools back up because, you know, here we are, we're ready to go. And the kids aren't transmitting it to each other and the parents right now. But, you know, we're still going to keep them closed because I'm still owned by the teachers union. And then, yes, of course, all the other. I think Bad Cow Mark in the chat says it best. Let me smell your hair to check for COVID the Uncle Joey way. Wow. Four times, baby, honey. Oh. How the... F I can't. Well, we got to keep moving on. Otherwise, I'm going to be completely disgusted by this. All right. Shifting gears here. Looking at an article from Politico here. Political playbook, Republicans can't quit Trump. And given the fact that we're talking about impeachment and impeachment and insurrection, the media can't really quit Trump either. All right, though, from Politico, from Tara Palmieri, 
Eugene Daniels, Ryan Lizza, and Rachel Bade. While the rest of the country wants less Donald Trump, Republicans can't just can't quit him. Our Flash Politico morning console poll conducted in the days following the Senate trial shows that despite the impeachment manager's gripping Michael Bay presentation and video laying out Trump's role in the January 6th rampage, funny, they don't call it an insurrection anymore. The GOP remains the undisputed party of Trump. Republican voters got over any misgivings they had about Trump's role on January 6th very quickly. It's because he didn't have a role in January 6th. 59% of Republican voters say they'd want Trump to play a major role in the party going forward. That's up 18 percentage points from a morning console poll conducted on January 7th, and an increase of 9 points from a follow-up poll on January 25th before the impeachment trial began. While Trump's fav uh, overall, uh, overall favorability rating is an abysmal 34% in our latest poll, 81% of Republican respondents gave him positive marks. Trump was at 77% approval among Republicans on January 7th and 74% on January 25th. Well, right, that's because the world's worst insurrection was still in people's minds. Like you were up here telling people that Trump directly did it. And that was before most of the news came out. And we realized that A, nobody directly died from the Capitol, including the police officer, except for Ashley Babbitt, who did directly die because the police shot her unarmed while she was climbing through a window. And at the time, we didn't have enough video and evidence to realize the fact that Trump was still speaking when they breached the Capitol building. The new poll comes as the most prominent elected Republicans. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has begun a post-impeachment effort to loosen Trump's grip on the party. While McConnell wrote in a Wall Street Journal op-ed Monday that he was bound by the Constitution to acquit Trump because he's out of office, he's also made clear he's prepared to take on Trump-backed Senate candidates in 2022 when they risk blowing winnable races. Though the 2024 primary is still far off, who knows what will happen with Trump three months from now, let alone in three years, he currently swamps any uh, potential rival. 53% of Republicans said they would vote for Trump if the primary were held today. Uh, I thought they had the chart of what everybody was. No, they don't. But I mean, it was a, um, it was a fairly distinctive, I've seen the chart. I thought it was in this article itself. I've seen the chart. It looks like, um, 59% say they would vote for Trump and everybody else going down, you know, your Noam, your DeSantis, your Sass, um, people like that are on there, like three, four or 5% smattering in there, including Don Jr. too. He's up in there, and that's 3 or 4%. So, yeah, I was really hoping they'd have the chart in here, but, yeah, that's what we see. Um, all the other Republican hopefuls are polling in the low single digits beside Mike Pence, who received 12%. Uh, percent. Marco Rubio, Tom Cotton, Mitt Romney, Christy Noem, Mitt Romney, really, again, Larry Hogan, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Tim Scott, and Rick Scott, all polled below 5%. Only uh, Trump Jr. and Nikki Haley punched through at 6%. Oh, God, don't do Nikki Haley again. <clears throat> Excuse me. W with a vagina is what Nikki Haley is. Dear God, no. Don't do Nikki Haley. No, 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 no.
No. Wait, hold on. I'm thinking about that again. Oh, yeah. No. No Nikki Haley. No more Bushites. We've already got a fucking warmonger sitting up in the uh, presidential office. So that's what they have to say about that. Let's talk a little bit about the impeachment again because, you know, CNN still needs to sell commercials. Trump rips McConnell in a lengthy statement after being acquitted in an impeachment trial from Carolyn Kelly and Brian Rokas. Former President Trump went after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday, calling him a dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack. Where's the lie? In a broadside attack just days after the Kentucky Republican voted to acquit Trump in his second impeachment trial. After that vote, McConnell ripped Trump in a speech from the Senate floor, and the two have been estranged in recent months after working closely together during the former president's four years in office. Mitch is a sad, dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack, and if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again, Trump said in a statement. He will never do what needs to be done or what is right for our country. Where necessary and appropriate, I will back primary rivals who espouse making America great again and our policy of America first. We want brilliant, strong, thoughtful, and compassionate leadership, okay? The best leadership. I have the best leadership, and I will find the best leaders, okay? Trump's call for compassionate leadership came in a petty statement full of ad hominem attacks. You know, like anything that came out of CNN going towards Donald Trump. Including a jab at McConnell's family. Like CNN when they talked about Donald Trump. And after years of some of the most vitriolic political leadership in American history, the former president routinely insulted his critics and political opponents. Like CNN does. As well as members of the military. I think you're getting sick of this broken record at this point his own health experts, and fellow Republicans who he did not find sufficiently loyal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Despite the pot shot at McConnell's family and the insulting characterization of his personality, Trump wanted to lob harsher personal attacks on McConnell. I think you know what's coming here. According to a source familiar with Trump's desires, Trump advisor Jason Miller said an earlier version of the statement was likely tougher. There was never any consideration to make a personal attack, though. And hearing that coming from CNN is just fucking rich. Just, just seriously. Now, why are these two fighting? I don't know. Is, does this mean we're going to see Trump 2024? God, I hope not. But we'll see. Let's talk about my senator, Ron Johnson. McConnell doesn't speak for the conference on Trump's culpability for riot. This is from Politico, from Anna Cambam Patty. I think is how you pronounce that. Senator Ron Johnson said Tuesday that Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's excoriation on Saturday of former President Trump put him out of step with the GOP caucus he leads. 
McConnell voted on Saturday to acquit Trump in the single article of impeachment brought by the House representatives accusing the former president of inciting the deadly January 6th riot at the Capitol. But in remarks on the Senate floor, the minority leader called Trump practically and morally responsible for the riot and explained how he voted to acquit only because he believed the Constitution does not allow for the Senate to convict a former president. Johnson said Tuesday that McConnell's position on Trump put the minority leader at odds with the bulk of his own party. From my standpoint, Leader McConnell speaks for himself. Yeah, that's true. A Tuesday interview with the Ross Kaminsky show, Johnson said, In this case, I don't believe he speaks for the conference, and I think he needs to be a little careful. You know, when I speak, I do actually try to take in mind how it might reflect on the party. Johnson also said he doesn't believe McConnell's comments are reflective of what the vast majority of Republican senators feel. The Senate acquitted Trump on Saturday with 57 lawmakers voting to convict the president, 10 short of the required number and 43 voting against. The vote was nonetheless historic, making it the first time in more than 150 years that more than half the Senate voted to convict a president on impeachment charges. Realistically, McConnell is out of step with the GOP, but McConnell is only looking for power. And for whatever reason, he is the minority leader, which I don't understand after, well, pretty much, I don't know if they can change that in the middle of everything, but I mean, after his abysmal performance after the election, I would not have voted him to stay in leadership. If I was a Senate Republican, I would not have voted for him to stay in leadership whatsoever. He is only looking out for power and what's going to make him the most powerful person in the Senate. McConnell is only out for power which puts him right in lockstep with Congressional Democrats and Nancy Pelosi. And yes, to an extent, Trump. But he is only out looking for power. He could find power by latching onto Trump's coattails and saying, Well, you know what? As long as we're here, we're going to, we're going to toe the president's line. And as I've often pointed out, my big criticism of McConnell is the fact that he was in Trump's pocket for the entire time Trump was power because he was looking for power. And as soon as Trump fell out of power and partially out of favor, he turned his back on it because he's looking out for himself. He's not looking out for you, the people of Kentucky, or the Republican Party. He is looking out for Mitch McConnell. And honestly, it's that, that oil baron elitism that, you know, they said, that's what they call my father's Republican Party. It's gone. It's dead. And McConnell is a remnant of that. As Democrats started looking down and leaning down for college elites, big business elites, and the big business interests that put the small businesses out of commission, the Republican Party has turned into a much more populist movement. So this old big business oil baron kind of guy is kind of out of step with everything else. So we will see what happens off of this one here. We'll see where this goes, what this leads to, and where it ends, I guess. I got another one here from CNN talking a little bit more about Ron jo uh, Johnson. The Republican senator just said the January 6th wasn't an armed insurrection. This is an opinion piece from Chris Saliza. Every once in a while, a member of Congress says something that makes your eyes bug out of your head. More often than, 
than not these days. That person is Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson. Here's Johnson over the weekend talking about the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. This didn't seem like an armed insurrection to me. When you hear the word armed, don't you think firearms? Here's the question I would like to ask. How many firearms were confiscated? How many shots were fired? Well, as of more th uh, Monday morning, more than 220 people have been arrested as a result of the Capitol riot, according to CNN's reporting. Here are some of the most, uh, uh, that's a side note, never mind. Five people died in the riots. Not true. One person died in the riots. And while overrun police were in no position to confiscate guns and other weapons brought by rioters in the Capitol, PolitiFact wrote Sunday night that we can st uh, still can identify accounts of numerous weapons found in and around the Capitol brought there, in some cases, by people who saw themselves as soldiers in a war. By our Constitution, all those people are innocent until proven guilty, so unless you confiscated firearms from them, fuck you, they are innocent. Fuck you, Saliza. And no, this was not an armed insurrection. Unless, of course, you count somebody picking up whatever they can put on their hands. You know, they weren't coming in, getting ready to shoot the fucking place up. Bowser's firearms ban made that almost... I think that some of the people were intending to go on there, but what they call an armed insurrection was really people coming in with their cell phones, taking selfies of themselves, and one woman getting shot by Capitol Police, and other people dying of heart attacks and suicides afterwards. So, no, this is a full bullshit thing. And, I mean, I'm on Johnson's side on this one. This is not an armed insurrection by any stretch of the imagination, anything. Any way, shape, or form, was this an armed insurrection? But they have to keep pulling that narrative out there because that's how they're going to come and take your guns. All right, let's talk a bit about Texas, starting with a tweet from Terry and Cole over on Twitter. Also a good follow. If you don't follow that dude, go ahead and check him out. That is at Terry and Cole. Right now, people are dying because the media and the left, I repeat myself, Propagated fear of nuclear power, the only plausible path to limiting fossil fuels. That's not entirely true, but that's a good idea to think about. Because, yes, we could possibly reduce large amounts of our dependence on fossil fuels by going nuclear. But it's scary! We saw Chernobyl on Netflix! It's very rare that there's any sort of nuclear meltdown like that. It is incredibly rare. Especially now that we have way more safety features and more understanding of the technology than we did in the 80s and the 70s when we started seeing some of this nuclear stuff and the meltdowns that came with it. And it's, I hate to tell you this, it's not about limiting fossil fuels, it's about limiting energy. However, that's not necessarily what's going on with Texas either. So I do have to push back a little bit on Terry and Cole for that. Yes, I'm still a big advocate for getting more nuclear energy in there, but I got to push back a bit on Terry and because that's not exactly what's going on here. And we'll talk a bit about that with Dan Crenshaw as well. But let's read the headlines first. Another tweet here from Piyush Matal. Question, Alexa, show me a cell phone by Dan Crenshaw. Um, Dan Crenshaw tweets back on September 8th of 2020. Alexa. Show me what happens when you let Democrats control energy policy. Um, and, of course, he's quote-tweeting as well, the mayor of Los Angeles talking about the rolling blackouts that they were having in the summer because their energy grid was crap. And I'll talk about that in just a sec. 
Let's see what the Blaze has to say about that, though, first. And then we'll get into that. Fossil fuels are the only thing that saved us, Dan Crenshaw replies to leftists mocking massive electric grid failures in Texas. From Carlos Garcia. Republican Representative Dan Crenshaw of Texas drafted a refutation of what he said were leftists on social media mocking his state for the massive electric grid failure in the face of historically brutal snowstorm. Crenshaw addressed the mockery made by some who blamed the infrastructure failure on Republican policies. With blackouts across Texas, many are wondering what happened. Leftists are cheering a red state having energy problems. Here's the truth about what happened. Crenshaw tweeted, a mix of oversubsidized wind energy and underinvestment in gas power means we didn't have enough base load energy for a massive spike in demand. Also, Texas infrastructure isn't designed for a once-in-a-century freeze, he explained. Crenshaw said that power regulators had planned on energy coming in from wind turbines in West Texas, but they had frozen under the extreme weather conditions, making matters worse. The batteries that were supposed to store energy were losing 60% of their uh, efficacy because of the cold. This is all very true. Bottom line, renewables didn't work in extreme weather, never will, he added. Crenshaw said that four existing nuclear power plants near Houston and Dallas were also knocked out because of the unexpected cold. On another note, the, the, this shows how safe nuclear is. Lots of safety precautions, he added, in a parenthetical. Natural gas lines also suffered from freezes that undermined energy delivery the state depended on. Governor Abbott made the right call diverting all natural gas to home heating fuel and the electricity for homes. Gas and coal brought a stable supply of energy, but it's still not enough, said Crenshaw. So that is that is the reality of it right there. And he pointed that out with talking about the wind turbines in West Texas. Now, because it's happening to Texas, that's why I want to bring this up. Because what they have down there in Texas right now is like t-shirt weather for me. What they've had throughout the week is like t-shirt weather for me. I'm from Wisconsin. I was born in Minnesota. Plus, I'm a Finnish ancestry, so I've got Viking in my blood. My forebears came over to this country, to this side of the world, around the Arctic Circle in longboats, not wearing shirts. I can handle the cold, and I've got a lot of practice with it. But in that same vein, I look at the way that the infrastructure in the state of Wisconsin is set up. Now, Dan Crenshaw is right. The deep freeze in Texas, it's a once in a century kind of thing. So of course, they don't have the infrastructure to handle the electricity coming from the wind turbines. The tur wind turbines are not designed to run in extreme cold weather. The ones that we have in Wisconsin are, by the way. We have wind turbines in Wisconsin, and they don't freeze up because they're designed to work in our climate. To work with the heat that we get in the summer, the humidity, and to still keep turning as long as the wind is blowing when it gets minus 50 fucking degrees. But I want to step back to the tweet that we read before we went into this, where he was making fun of Dan Crenshaw for making fun of Los Angeles. Now, yes, the Republican-led Texas state infrastructure failed because it's not designed to handle an extreme deep freeze. 
as he said, this is a once-in-a-century thing. Meanwhile, the thing that Dan was pointing out about Los Angeles and the failures that they are having, in spite of the fact that Los Angeles knows its climate and the state of California knows its climate, knows how to get energy throughout and can build their infrastructure to do so, they still have rolling blackouts every fucking year. So yes, I will forgive Texas for not having infrastructure like we have in Wisconsin because they never have to deal with the conditions that we have up here. But California does this every year in July. From July to September. They do this every single year. So that's kind of an apples and oranges comparison, don't you see? All right. Let's keep going. From the Hill. Bill Gates, rich nation, should... No, I'm not turning my ad blocker off for you. Go away. Bill Gates, rich nation, should move to 100% synthetic beef. From Cameron Jenkins. Bill Gates recently said that he believes rich nations should help the global fight against climate change by consuming only plant-based meat products instead of beef. In a recent interview with Technology Review, Gates discussed his new book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. It's depopulation. He wants to depopulate you. And emphasized that the benefits rich nations could produce by moving to 100% synthetic beef. I do think all rich countries should move to 100% synthetic beef, Gates uh, said when asked about how countries can help reduce methane emissions when it comes to food production. You can get used to the taste difference, and the claim is they're going to make it taste even better over time. The philanthropist and Microsoft co-founder told the outlet that he's hopeful to turn to plant-based proteins will help combat methane emissions produced by livestock. Impossible and Beyond have a roadmap, a quality roadmap, and a cost roadmap that makes them totally competitive, Gates said, referring to popular plant-based meat companies. As for scale today, they don't represent 1% of the meat in the world, but they're on their way. Gates told Technology Review that he acknowledges the alternative argument that getting rid of cows is viewed as an unpopular approach, but he said that the benefits of plant protein are worth the shift for some countries. Eventually, that green uh, premium is modest enough that you can sort of change the behavior of people or use regulation to totally shift the demand, Gates said. So, for meat in the middle income and above countries, I do think it's possible. Well, I will not live in the pod and I will not eat the bugs. That's all that I have to say about that. And really, you can't force your ideology down on people. I don't try to force libertarianism down on the people of Los Angeles, for instance. Now, I'll try to convince them and sell them of that. I've tried the Beyond stuff, and you can't convince me that this is beef and that this has the same amount of proteins and anything, all the rest of the nutrients that come from good red meat. Or pork. I like a lot of pork, too. Or seafood. So, no, I don't see... Well, I see what he's trying to do. It's trying to get this out and put middle America out of business so he can come back and buy up all the land. But, yeah, we're sitting back here, and now we're looking at 
Eat the synthetic beef, you bigots. All right, let's keep going. I got just a couple more here. Sink or swim, ex-Texas mayor goes viral after eviscerating winter storm victims seeking help. Oh shit, I should have done this before Bill Gates. Anyway, from Daniel Villarreal. A Facebook post by former Colorado may uh, city mayor Tom Boyd brutally blaming his city's residents for not preparing for electricity and water shutoffs during the winter storm has gone viral. Boyd later apologized for his words in a follow-up post. Last Friday, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott issued a disaster declaration for all the state's 254 counties. And on Sunday night, President Joe Biden declared an emergency in Texas, ordering the Department uh, ordering the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Emergency Management Agency to coordinate disaster relief efforts to areas impacted by the winter storms. In his Tuesday night post, Boyd wrote, No one owes you or your family anything, nor is it the local government's responsibility to support you during trying times like this. It is. Sink or swim, it's your choice. The city and county, along with power providers or any other service, owes you nothing. You know that argument that I make all the time that taxation is theft? It's, it's shit like this that confirms that taxation is indeed theft. This right here. No one owes you anything. You should have prepared better. You, the infrastructure doesn't owe you anything. We pay utility costs and taxes. So yes, motherfucker, you owe us something. That is bullshit. Now, the like cradle to grave thing that the progressives want to do for you, that's that's not what the government owes you. But if you're gonna pay property taxes and well, there's no income tax in Texas, but if you're gonna pay property tax and anything else that comes out of Texas, then yes, the fucking government owes you something. And that guy uh, resigned after saying that, and as well he should have. All right, let's keep going here. From the Associated Press. Ebers calls for more education spending. One billion dollar tax hike, uh, hike rather. This is from Scott Bauer. Governor Tony Evers called on the Republican-controlled legislature Tuesday to bolster funding for K-12 and higher education and reform the state's criminal justice systems while delivering a state budget with a billion dollars in tax increases and liberal policy priorities that GOP leaders promised to quickly kill. Well, yeah, that was all strategy off here. Evers pitched his $91 billion two-year state budget to the legislature as Badger Bounce Back Agenda, as the coronavirus pandemic enters its second year. I believe we can pass a budget with bipartisan support, Evers said in a pre-recorded speech that played as lawmakers watched from the assembly chamber. He urged Republicans not to be focused on settling scores. No one but you is keeping and instead working together. I believe we can pass a budget that will make sure our state can bounce back and better than it was before this pandemic hit, Evers said. I believe we can pass a budget that will finally realize the future we've uh, dreamed. 
I know the legislature and I can get this done. And for the most part, and you know, this is especially coming from the fact that I can watch Wisconsin politics, and I've been watching it for 30 years at this point, that this, for the most part, comes out of, and I've seen Republican governors do the same thing in the state. Tony Evers came out, and he put a giant wish list out there that he knows has no chance of passing the Republican-led legislature. More money than he could possibly spend with tax hikes coming to the America, uh, to the Wisconsin people. And then when Robin Voss, the assembly leader, kicks it back down and kicks it back out, he's going to make campaign ads and come out and say, oh, well, look at how evil the legislature is. Look at them. you got to vote all them people out because I need to have unilateral rule. And then once he has unilateral rule, then he's not going to do bullshit, but fucking shit. And I've seen both parties do it. I mean, I've seen that on a federal level, too. You know, you get uh, a split Congress and they throw out their big fucking wish list. And then when the other side doesn't pass it, it's like, oh, look how evil those people are. Get rid of them, people. So, we will see what comes back out of that. I'm sure Voss kicks this back down, but the fact that he's coming out and saying he's going to raise the taxes and... People are coming out and saying, well, you'll only get taxed more if uh, if you make more than $200,000 a year. No, that's not true at any stretch of the imagination. So, that's coming out of my state here. From the New York Post. A little bit of catch up on the Central Park story from last year. You remember that stuff. Charges against Central Park Karen, Amy Cooper, are dismissed. Well, you can't do that. It's Black History Month. That tired fucking excuse. Justice doesn't know what month it is. And both people involved in this one were an asshole to begin with. But let's see what the New York Post has to say. Misdemeanor charges were tossed Tuesday against Amy Cooper, the Central Park Karen who falsely accused a black bird watcher of threatening her after she completed a handful of therapy sessions. Cooper had faced up to a year in prison on the charge of falsely reporting an incident in the third degree. But a judge granted Manhattan prosecutors' request to dismiss Cooper's case after she completed five therapy sessions designed for introspection and progress. Assistant District Attorney John Eluzi Orban said at a brief virtual hearing, Cooper, who is white, was accused of lying to cops that an African-American man, Christian Cooper, was threatening her and her pooch in an incident caught on a cell phone video in May. Christian, who was in no relation to Amy, was telling the woman to leash her dog as per park rules at the time. Psychoeducation about racial equity is woven into each therapy session. Oh, jeez. To prompt understanding and reflection, Elusi Orban told the judge of Amy Cooper's time with the Critical Therapy Center in Manhattan. Miss Cooper's therapist reported that it was a moving experience and that Miss Cooper learned a lot in their sessions together. I have no words for this. Both people involved in this were assholes. The dude was an asshole for going in and trying to lure the dog away with treats. And the woman was an asshole for trying to call the police saying that she was being threatened 
and that the dude was black. I mean, that was completely racially charged. But of course, and this is a big one too, because this goes into the politics of thing, because Cooper was a very, very progressive person, according to reports that I've seen going around this. So, of course, you know, it can only be the evil Republicans that are racist. And I think that does play a little bit into what was going on with this and the reason why they dismissed the charges and offered therapy. For the most part, it came down to the fact that, especially in New York City, she votes the right way. That's why she's not facing charges. But, yeah, a lot of Twitter was outraged over this. And, really, I don't care. But I'm sure some people in the audience might. So we'll talk a bit about that again on Monday. Let's do one more here, then we'll do something I'm thankful for and head on out of here. From Fox News, Minneapolis resident city council has blood on their hands for defunding the police. From Roman Sharello. A Minneapolis resident and business owner said Tuesday that members of the Minneapolis City Council have blood on their hands due to the increases in crime after the city's police budget was cut in the wake of George Floyd's death. They saw a whole different kind of opportunity, Jay Edinger said of council members, who called for the defunding of police following the George Floyd protests. They saw an opportunity to take down the system, and they've got a lot of blood on their hands. Right now, because of it. Edinger's comments came after the city council voted unanimously to approve $6.4 million in additional funding for the police department. The city backtracked on its uh, original push to defund the city's police department after residents begged the city to hire more officers, citing longer response times and increased violent crime. Well, realistically, people were getting up, getting pissed that there were... I mean, you pay the taxes into the system, expecting the fact that you're going to have infrastructure buildings, traffic lights, and police. And this especially goes on to the, the soccer mom type. The people are going in there because I want to live in the city because I can't go out and live out in the country in the middle of nowhere because there will be nobody there to protect my children from the elements. And that's why a lot of these people are moving into the city. It's not the rich people. It's your 50,000 individual earner, 75,000 individual earner, $100,000 household that are paying the taxes in because they want to live in the city infrastructure and have the police. And now they're getting up, they're looking at this and saying, oh dear, we have no police in the city here, we're going to have to move, aren't we? And they're getting back up. The homes are getting more and more devalued as violent crime is going up. And they're having a harder time moving people back in to keep paying the taxes. Yes, I would panic if I was on that city council too. And I'm not an excessive fan of the police. Because they do stupid shit. They do a lot of stupid shit. But you're not going to convince middle class, two SUVs in the driveway, suburban soccer mom, that a city without police is going to be the city that they want to live in. And they will take their money and their tax dollars elsewhere. So yes, I can absolutely see the city of Minneapolis coming back and backtracking on this. Now, as once again, I have no problem with police as people, but they are just following orders, and we have way, way too many laws for victimless crimes that they're coming out and trying to enforce. So before we go off and defund the police, as people say, 
defund the legislators who are making these awful victimless crime laws that are allowing police to get in there in your face and stop people who are just putting a chemical on their body and not hurting anybody else. If we reduced all law to don't hurt people and don't take your stuff, we would see a reduction in the need for police and possibly the ability to defund some of them. Defund the departments because we don't need as big of a department. We don't need as big of a tactical department. And the fucking drug war. But, yep, at this, as of this point, there's more violent uh, crime. The soccer moms, the suburbanites are moving out. They're taking their dollars with them. And now they're coming back and saying, oh, well, we need more police. And, I mean, the res... Um, the business owner from Minneapolis is absolutely right. The city council has blood on their hands because people are dying. People are getting the crap beat out of them. They're getting robbed at gunpoint because, you know, the response time is forever. The criminals on the streets aren't afraid. They aren't afraid to hurt people and take their stuff. So, that's what we have off of this. And that's going to be it for the day as far as news goes, but the last thing we do on a Wednesday is something that I'm thankful for. And, you know, looking at Texas, I hate to use the strife of my friends because I do have friends that live in Texas. Harvey McLeod lives in Texas. Seawall's down there. Uh, Wyatt from the breakdown with Birkenhoff, they're all down in Texas and they're all suffering because, like I said at the beginning, they don't have the infrastructure to do what the weather has expected them to do. They don't have the infrastructure to move their natural gas in a line that's not going to freeze up on them. They don't have the infrastructure to keep the wind turbines going. Yes, the fossil fuel saved them and kept them moving along at least for a little bit, but they, they're they not built to do this every year like we are up here. That's I'm thankful to live in a place that has such temperature extremes and such weather, extreme, excuse me, weather extremes that we actually are built to handle almost anything. Now, we do have infrastructure problems in the state, don't get me wrong. We're almost constantly constructing roads again because we do have extreme temperatures and they play shit on our roads. They play absolute hell on our roads. But, you know, there's always been heat here. There's always been power here. I can continue to put out my signal because we built our state in a way because we know what's going to happen. We know what happens when it gets cold. We've been doing it as long as this has been a state. So I'm thankful to live here. I'm thankful for the infrastructure and the plants that have been put into place and the communities that have been built based on the fact that we know how to do things. And my heart goes out to my friends in Texas. I hope that they do get the relief that they need. I hope that they get back up and running. And I hope this cold spell is very short for them because a lot of them moved to Texas legitimately based on the fact that they didn't want to be cold. That they wanted to have a place where it was at least spring year-round. A lot of people moved there just for that uh, just for that thought. I wouldn't be able to handle it, but, well, we'll see what they're doing. We'll see if they're doing good. I safety-checked everybody. Seawall's fine. Harvey's fine. Uh, Wyatt's fine. He was out talking uh, in the Gilded yesterday. So everybody's good. Everybody that I know in Texas is good, and hopefully they stay that way. But that's going to be it for the day here. I'm going to head on out of here for the day, get ready for work, and we will see you back here tomorrow to talk a bit more about what's happening in the news and 
whatever else they can come back and dig up off the Biden administration if they actually report on that, or their favorite subject in the mainstream news, the Trump administration. So we'll talk a bit about that. We'll see you tomorrow for more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.